All Inclusive, a podcast on inclusion, innovation, and social justice with Jay Ruderman. Hi, I'm Jay Ruderman, and this is All Inclusive, a podcast focused on inclusion, innovation, and social justice. Brent Michael Suter is a professional baseball player for the Milwaukee Brewers of Major League Baseball. He studied at Harvard University and was drafted into the MLB in 2012. Yet today, he is here to talk with us about a subject pretty far removed from baseball, environmental activism. Brent, welcome to All Inclusive. Hey, Jay, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. So many topics require attention uh, and activism. For example, racism, sexism, the list is so long. Mm-hmm. How did you become involved in environmental activism? And why focus on global warming? Yeah, uh, it's something that started sophomore year of high school for me. Um, I watched An Inconvenient Truth the year it came out uh, with my mom, actually, and just didn't know the extent of the problems that were going on. And it just really blew me away. And from that moment on, it was on my heart to try to do something about it. So I knew I wanted to study it in college, uh, study environmental science, public policy in college, and then knew whatever path I took after college, I wanted to have this be part of my, you know, kind of my mission. And so entering pro professional baseball, which was always a dream of mine. Uh, just have tried to integrate environmental activism into my day-to-day living and into some programs I get involved with and have helped start. So uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a journey. Um, can always do more. I mean, the problem is so immense and, and so alarming that, um, you know, every, every second we waste is kind of just precious time, but um, just trying to do my best to use the platform of baseball and trying to reach people that might not otherwise hear about the problems or solutions um, and just try to be part of the solution. Well, I really appreciate it. I think that, you know, you've taken a leading role in major league baseball in terms of your activism and, and have actually found uh, some uh, receptivity uh, within the league and, and, and within your team. Um, maybe generally, what can you say is the biggest issue facing our environment today? Um, I would say just big big picture uh this the threshold that you know you hear about in the news uh, you know the two degrees celsius warming uh being kind of the runaway uh where clim- climate starts breaking down and there's no chance or point of return so and unfortunately we're heading there quickly so i think the just the temperature rise and the kind of the fear or the potential of just runaway uh basically climate breakdown would be the biggest concern um Obviously, there's a lot in there with uh, pollution, uh, you know, toxic chemicals being dumped in the environment with deforestation, both in the ocean and on land, and uh, with plastics, and there's all kinds of problems that, unfortunately, we create with our linear society. You know, and, you know, nature works in that cycle, you know, the circular cyclical pattern, and unfortunately, our societies kind of just use the resources in and then dump them out, um, and that linear pattern, we just got to, we got to get back into balance with nature and getting, you know, more cyclical about our society. So, um, I think, you know, the, the solutions, there's going to be multiple solutions because there's multiple huge problems, but, um, we gotta, we gotta put this at the forefront of our policymaking at the forefront of our day-to-day behavior, day-to-day life. And, uh, we gotta be, we gotta be the generation and the, the people that help this problem rather than continue to, um, continue to the problem. So do you think there's still hope? I mean, I mean, are we already beyond where, you know, this is all downhill and, and we're just, you know, 
living in a situation that, that we can't control? Or do you believe that there's still things that we can do uh, to turn the situation around? I think there's still, I think there's still time. I think there's still uh, hope. Um, unfortunately, like I said before, the time is just running short um, and shorter and shorter every day. Um, and it just seems like the projections are kind of getting worse and worse every day. So uh, we're not, we're not exactly helping the problem yet uh, on, on a large scale. There, there are some signs of hope. I, I really take a lot of hope in the younger generation and their involvement and their activism for sure. Um, I take, I take a lot of hope in the, you know, the some policies that are being put in, especially when it you know, environmental justice policies that have really been put in this year. I think once we help help other human beings that have been, at, you know, put at the hands of, um, you know, environmental injustice, I think that it was just, that'll help uh, change the whole course of the, you know, the, our our thinking and say, hey, when we help people that have been in environmentally uh, suffering injustice, it helps everything. So all these wrongs that have been existing for generations and generations, if we write them, other things start benefiting. Nature starts benefiting. Our resources start benefiting. So uh, I think there's hope in that, um, in our, in our new policies, but we got a long way to go, a uh, long way to go and a short time to do it. So I'm, I'm hopeful, but, um, I'm, I'm still, I'll be honest. I'm a little worried for sure. So let me talk a little bit about your background. I know you went to, to Muller um, High School outside of Cincinnati, and you've had some very famous alumni uh, come out of that school, including, I believe, the former um, Speaker of the House, John Boehner, mm-hmm. um, as well as some very um, talented baseball players and other other athletes. Um, but it is a school where I think, you know, focuses on spirituality and, 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 and religion, how much does spirituality, you know, play in your life and, and how do you see it connected to the issue of environmentalism? Uh, it's big. Um, you know, I was raised in a Catholic household my, my whole life, uh, went to church Sunday school and went to a Catholic high school, obviously. And, uh, it's been a big part of my life. And I really look at environmentalism as a care for God's creation. Um, and you know, the gifts he's bestowed on, our world and our species really um, have been just enormous, but I look at kind of the ways we've been treating it as probably, you know, offensive to his creation and just, you know, dominion doesn't mean we have to dominate and deplete our resources. Dominion means we have responsibility over uh, his creation. So yeah, it's, uh, it's absolutely a huge, huge component of my environmentalism. I, I look at it as trying to be a steward of, his blessing and trying to pass it on to my son, all other, um, all other future generations. And honestly, our, our later lives, um, this is, this is a problem that we're talking about is going to affect us, uh, is already affecting us, but will affect us in our lifetimes. And, and tell me, um, you know, you went to Harvard. Um, and, and I think what not everyone knows is not only you a great, great athlete and a great pitcher, um, but you're also an excellent student and, and, Maybe you can talk about the cultural difference between, you know, growing up in, in, the, in the Cincinnati area and then spending four years at Harvard. Um, and, and what did Harvard do for you in terms of, you know, educating you? Because I know you focused mm-hmm. on environmentalism while you were there. Yeah, um, I, I tell people all the time, look, the, the best thing about Harvard was the people. Um, the professors were incredible. The the TAs and everybody were incredible, but the other students that I came into contact with, I, I just looked at it as a blessing to be uh, being able to 
meet so many people from different backgrounds, different belief systems who are just incredibly smart, bright, talented, you know, just, you can just see their path is set for helping this world, but they're also incredible people too, um, humble down to earth. And I think Harvard really had that effect of everyone kind of humbled each other <laughs> with uh, the accomplishments. Um, it didn't take long for me to get humbled at all there. <laughs> uh, but I mean, some uh, just like that gradual humbling of like, wow, this person does this. Like I, I can't be walking around with my chest puffed out too much because, you know, I'm surrounded by people who are doing incredible things. So, and then it, it was cool to see it in like sophomore, junior year, everyone kind of rallied around that and uh, really started. It was just a really cool experience of seeing people, you know, kind of that humbling process and then build each other up after that and uh, work together and really, really pick each other up uh, during the tough times. Well, I know that um, you spent a number of years in, in the minor league system Um and, you know, I, I, I read a story about when you were told with only a few hours to go that you were um, uh, being moved from a, a minor league team in, in Colorado to uh, pitch for the Brewers against um, against the Mariners in Seattle. And mm -hmm. I think your comment was, you know, oh, my Lanta, um, <laughs> you know, this is but, uh, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about I mean, baseball. You're, you're pitching or you're on a team with um, players from all over the world, all yep. over the country. And, you know, they come from different backgrounds, different, you know, political views. Do you see the environmental movement as labeled as a political movement? And, and what type of feedback have you gotten from your, your teammates regarding um, what you obviously are very passionate about improving the environment? Yeah. Um, I think early on, um, maybe minor leagues early in my big league days, it was kind of seen as kind of like a, maybe a liberal thing or like labeled it a little bit on the political spectrum. But I honestly, the, these last couple of years, it's been just a, uh, I've seen guys from all over the spectrums really be in tune with it. Um, starting changing their behavior, starting changing their, uh, kind of the thought process, uh, with environment, with respect to environmental activities and, uh, I, I see it less and less as a political issue and just more of like a humanitarian issue now. So that's been really hopeful. There's still some, uh, I would, I would say there's still some people who, uh, want to keep it labeled as a political issue or whatever, but I mean, that, that happens, but, um, I'd say just in general, the, the trend has been way less politicized lately and more, uh, of a humanitarian and just like a global concern issue, which is, um, it's good to see, uh, you, you want to see that, uh, kind of just that point of rallying behind it and get, get the stigma away from it and just let, let's get together and help this thing out. Right. And, and you're a very positive person. I mean, I think your spirituality plays into that. And, and I think generally your personality, um, how's, how's the atmosphere in the clubhouse, uh, in Milwaukee these days? I mean, you know, are people getting along? Um, you know, how, how do you see the situation this year? Yeah, um, our clubhouse really from the time I got to the big leagues has been really, really great. Um, there've been some lulls here and there where we kind of, you know, go on a losing streak and look like we're gonna maybe be, you know, pulling each, pulling each other at different sides of the rope, but then we rally together and, uh, we come back strong. And this year, honestly, the whole time it's been incredible. Uh, you know, the baseball season, it's crazy. There's some ups and downs. So there've been a couple down parts where we're just, you know, struggling and we're trying to find our footing and you can tell there's, little bit of frustration here and there just on the baseball side but in terms of the guys getting along with each other it's been incredible um 
we have we've had some great additions too. Well, I'm I'm a Bostonian, lifelong Red Sox fan, and you know, recording this out of the Boston area, and um, Jackie Bradley Jr. was one of you know my favorite players, yeah. and you know, to see him in the outfield, uh, there's very few people in Major League Baseball who with his skills. So mm-hmm. you know, um, he's a big plus uh, for you guys right now. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the carbon footprint. Um, maybe you can just, you know, a few words explain, you know, what the significance of the carbon footprint is and, and how it impacts the environment. Yeah. Um, so just in general, it's how much carbon you're using in your day-to-day lives, whether that's through air travel, um, bus travel with your cars, with your diet, um, with your household heating and lighting and whatnot. So it's basically how much carbon you're putting into the atmosphere just by your, uh, single use actions. And uh, we started a program last year called Sideline and Carbon, where we're trying to uh, encourage professional sports teams to be part of the solution and cutting, cutting back or uh, offsetting their carbon footprints, and uh, particularly with travel, um, air travel particularly. So uh, our goal is by 2025 to cut, uh, to offset 50% of all sports travel emissions. So it's a lofty goal. We're still working on getting more and more teams here, but we I've had a lot of teams reach out here recently. So it's a good sign to want to cut, uh, want to offset their carbon emissions. So, um, basically, yeah, it's your individual contribution to global warming in a way. Uh, CO2 is a big, big greenhouse gas. So let's talk a little bit about, um, sidelining carbon and maybe you can talk about how this initiative began, you know, which teams I know, I know the Milwaukee Brewers are on board, mm-hmm. uh, Dallas, uh, Mavericks and, and in addition to, to some other teams, but, Mm-hmm. You know, how is it going? Is there, is there reception among professional sports teams to um, to join this initiative? And and what do they have to do? Because they're obviously, you know, you guys away games, you're going to get on a plane and, and, and get there. There's a lot of travel in, mm-hmm. in major league sports. Um, what do teams have to commit to? And, and how's the process of convincing them to, to be part of this? Yeah. Um, so it started, I was, uh, getting in contact with a young man named Benjamin Backer, who, uh, is from Wisconsin, big Brewers fan. And he's done some incredible things on the environmental activism front. He's actually, uh, conservative along the political spectrum, but wants to help, uh, conservatives be environmentally active. Uh, so he has this, uh, he started American conservation coalition and uh, we worked partner with them to create the program Sideline and Carbon. We're working with the Nature Conservancy, Players for the Planet, and the Cool Effect to uh, help get this thing done. And um, <clears throat> unfortunately, last year with the financial concerns of COVID, um, it was tough to get reception once they heard you know the, there was a price tag attached. But this year, I'm hearing a lot more as you know the ball kind of gets rolling back to where we were in 2019 financially. A lot more teams are interested in giving back and offsetting their carbon. So uh, that's a good sign. Um, and it basically, yeah, like you said, the Mavericks, uh, Brewers, we got some, several other teams on board and some other teams, uh, very interested. And they'll, the ideal is once they sign up, they offset all their plane and bus CO2 emissions into these projects that are going on in Pennsylvania and Tennessee through the cool effect and, uh, their carbon will be offset therefore. And so that's, that's really what we, we want to have that done with 50% of the teams in, in all sports was, is really the goal because, you know, ideally cutting off 50% of the team's emissions would be 50% of all travel emissions. So we calculate it with, uh, you know, CO2 use per mile of jet fuel 
uh, used in per mile of flying and then with the busing, how many buses are used. So it's, there's some uh, calculations going on, but basically just, there's a bill at the end of the day, players, management, um, owners are encouraged to help offset that. And, uh, it's, it's a tax write off and everything, but, uh, we, we definitely want to see this, see this grow. And the ACA American conservation coalition is doing, um, or ACC, sorry, is doing a great job with it. So it's uh, it's really uh, hopefully takes off here very very shortly. Now that we're getting a little bit more back to normal. So do you do you feel hopeful that that um, you know MLB and other you know sports um, they're going to join into this effort and they're, and they're they're going to look seriously at it? And are your discussions with the leagues you know leading someplace? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I said, the ball's been rolling a little, um, more lately. Uh, last year it was just, just a tough year, you know, in hindsight, it might not have been the best year to start this thing, but, um, I'm glad we did it in anyways. Um, but the, uh, yeah, there, there's been positive reception and, uh, I think we just need to get like a couple good teams or a couple more teams in it. And then they'll tell, they'll talk about it to other teams or something. We just need to get that ball rolling just a little bit more. And, uh, I think it'll it'll take off hopefully. So, uh, yeah, it's the momentum is building. Um, they're doing a great job, and we just gotta kind of get that final little roll going of the ball. Well, I, th- I think that you've um, explained to us that you you know not only talk the talk but walk the walk in terms of your own you know personal life and and trying to influence those around you. What do you say when some people say, "Hey, this this um, carbon emissions issue is is a global problem, and and um, these incremental changes are not really going to change anything"? Um, how do you push back against that? That yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, my response is that we are all in this system together, and every piece of pollution, every piece of greenhouse gas that I am responsible for putting in the atmosphere is more damage. Uh, in the present term and in the future to the system um, and that, you know, every, everything we do matters and has consequences now and, you know, for hundreds of years in the future. So everything I can cut down on, I want to um, because, you know, for the future generation's sake, maybe it might not show up on the big global calculations. Yeah, I'll get, I'll give them that, but maybe it, it helps down the line of just like that less one last degree where otherwise a whole ecosystem would have perished or something um, where it's, you know, there's, we're entering a realm, we're entering an era where it's like everything is so stressed uh, environmentally that every little bit we can do to minimize the damage on the system helps. So uh, we, I think it's, it's kind of one of those things like we're all in this together, uh, that mentality and, Everything we do matters, and I, I just I respond to that. So, what are the biggest roadblocks on on a macro level that that we're facing right now in terms of carbon emissions? And and I know that um, this program doesn't get political in in the sense that it focuses on activism, um, but there's obviously a political element here. And you know where uh, some people are pushing um, uh, re- the reduction of carbon emissions, and others are like, well, it's not you know as big a problem. Where do you see the biggest issues that we're going to face in the future on this? Um, the one thing that stands out in my mind is just uh, you know fossil fuel dependency and trying to the transition away from fossil fuels. Like it, it just needs to happen, um, and there it's going to take some 
there's going to be some growing pains with it for sure. Uh, there's going to be um, absolutely some technological advances that need to happen, uh, particularly with battery storage and battery uh, power and all that. But um, this fossil fuel use in general and like the, the subsidies that have to go in to make fossil fuels affordable for the for everybody, um, unfortunately, they need to go away at some point and we need to transition into renewable energies, renewable um, you know, it's battery powered houses, battery powered uh, cars, uh, and those systems being fed with the renewable power because fossil fuel, it's just, it's just too much. Uh, the excavation of it, the processing of it and the use of it is just, it, it takes such an environmental toll. And, uh, we've, we've known this for about 40 or 50 years now, um, that it's, it leads to, uh, problems environmentally. And, uh, I say that's, that's the biggest one. And what would you say that um, there, are, there are several states in the United States, let, let's set aside the rest of the world, but there are several states in the United States that are very heavily dependent on the fossil fuel industry. Um, and, you know, their positions have been, we'll support this industry because it's creating a lot of jobs and there's political pressure. You know, what would you say to, you know, states like, you know, Texas or Kentucky or, or you know, mm-hmm. other states that have the fossil fuel industry as major parts of their economy. How did, how did they begin to move away from this without hurting their population? Yeah. And I totally understand that, um, that thinking. And honestly, if I was in a position of political power, I would be feel like I'm man, my hands are tied my back or stuck between a rock and hard place, whatever phrase you want to use, because I want to help my constituents. I want to see them succeed, have jobs, have income have self-reliance, but, um, I'm seeing this problem kind of just bearing down on, on the globe at the same time. And, uh, it's, it's going to be a, listen, it's going to be a transition period, um, where these skilled workers that have been in fossil fuels, uh, are going to need to be smoothly transitioned into renewable energy generation, um, and use, you know, some of their skills and acquire some new skills for uh, renewable energy generation. And, uh, just it, because like we were talking before, like this, the fossil fuel industry, it just can't, we can't have, be dependent on fossil fuels in 150 years, um, in 50 years, you know, we need to be uh, a renewable, a cyclical uh, society, energy society. Um, and I would say like, if, if there's programs in place where, Hey, listen, we're going to take away, like this fossil fuel job is, is going to go away, but here's a transition. Here's a pr- training program for you. And here's a transition right into this job. Another good paying job for renewable energy. Like it's going to be, need to be a sophisticated rollout plan to get everybody bought on board on transitioning from fossil fuel to renewable energy. But I think we can get it done. I think we have uh, the power, the, you know, the manpower and the, the, the people in place to, to do that. Um, but it will be a huge undertaking for sure. Let me talk a little bit about some other environmental initiatives you've been involved in. I, I know that we, uh, I read about the tremendous amount of plastic that's used in a stadium. Mm-hmm. And I forget the number, but, you know, in, in, the, in the hundreds of thousands or even millions um, plastic cups that are being used during, during a game. Mm-hmm. And um, can you talk a little bit about your initiative to move away from from plastic cups and 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 use re, reusable uh, cups to drink from, and also, you know, recycling the cups, uh, the plastic cups that are used. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, so a couple of years ago, probably three or four years ago, I uh, started a social media campaign called Strikeout Waste, um, where I was encouraging players, teammates, fans, uh, management to use reusable bottles instead of you know single-use plastic bottles. We were just going through so many at spring training. I was it was just driving me crazy. So uh, some companies hopped on board and sent us hundreds of bottles that I was able to give away to uh, teammates, uh, management, and some fans, and then uh, just encouraging fans to fill up at water stations. Um, unfortunately, you can't bring many types of bottles into the stadium just because projectiles at the, you know, in the upper, upper parts of the stadium would be a concern. But um, the bottles that they were allowed to bring in, we started getting some reusable filling stations at spring training and in the season. So we ended up cutting about half of our plastic bottle use in spring training as a team, which was good. But, um, and, and unfortunately kind of, at, towards the end of the season, only uh, you know probably ten guys were using the reusable bottles uh, in a dedicated way. So it went; it, the momentum faded a little bit. Um, unfortunately, I had to rehab that year in Arizona, so I was away from the team, so I couldn't be Mister uh, Encouragement for <laughs> reusable bottles the whole time. But uh, some guys were still doing it, and some guys still do it today, which is really encouraging. Um, but then that kind of led to an, a, a partnership with SC Johnson and the Milwaukee Brewers, where uh, all the plastic cups uh, last year that would have been used by fans was gonna were gonna get upcycled to scrubbing bubbles bottles, and uh, it, we had everything in place and all the there were gonna be a donation for Save the Oceans campaign with Players for the Planet as part of this partnership. Um, for every save that Brewers got, we we're gonna donate to uh, help clean up beaches in the Dominican Republic. But unfortunately, uh, COVID hit and everything went away about the save the oceans campaign. So, um, but it, we're going to start it up now that, um, restrictions are being loose and we're going to, uh, do our best to start it up again this year and get those plastic cups. I think it was estimated 1.3 million cups, uh, would have been upcycled into scrubbing bubbles bottles rather than, uh, thrown away or, uh, gone to a landfill. So, uh, it's, there's still things in the works. COVID hasn't taken away everything, which is good, but, um, really excited about this SC Johnson partnership that the Brewers have. It's really the first of its kind, kind of a corporate uh, partner with the sports team in the environmental space. Um, and Fist Johnson, the CEO of SC Johnson's his, his heart is really in this problem. Um, he wants to be part of the solution and he's doing great things. So very excited for that and uh, what the future holds there. Yeah. And so smart because um, you know, the Brewers working with a local Wisconsin you know, company to benefit, mm -hmm. you know, the environment, the company, um, you know, the fans, you know, seeing a direct connection mm -hmm. to their recycling. It's not just going off someplace and they don't know what's happening. They actually know what's happening with it. Such a smart way to approach it. And and I, I hope that, you know, after we come out of COVID, I hope, you know, it's it's uh, reinvigorated and, and that, you um, other teams will learn from what you're doing and, and, and see examples in their community where they could do the same type of thing. Yeah. I think uh, Fist told us that he had dozens and dozens of teams like the, in the next couple of days after we announced the partnership, uh, reach out to him and say they want something similar uh, for their team. So that was really cool to hear that teams are on board. Uh, they want to be part of the solution too, and uh, have partners along the way that can help them get to those goals. So, uh, very, very exciting stuff. So if you'll indulge me, I'm a huge baseball fan, and I just want to talk uh, a little bit about, about baseball. Yeah. Um, I've read, you know, um, that you are an infectious player and, and just, 
just so happy to to be you know involved in baseball as as your career mm-hmm. and and just appreciating every day uh maybe you can talk a little bit about how professional baseball became your career what what you know it was a lifelong dream but you know a lot of times dreams don't happen how did it happen for you yeah um honestly it's it's kind of amazing that i'm still playing because um i wasn't really highly recruited out of high school uh didn't have many calls going on and then i randomly sent a video in government class one day to some ivy league coaches and uh the harvard guy harvard coach got back to me liked what he saw sent some scouts down a couple weeks later, I pitched well in a showcase, and then a couple weeks later, they had a guy decommit, and so they had a spot open, and re- I mean, was able to sign a likely letter there. <laughs> a month and a half later, it was, in- it was insane um, to get even get to college baseball, which was always a dream, uh, more of a goal of mine. Um, professional baseball was always just that lofty dream, and then uh, college came and went. I was a starter all four years, but I really had some ups and downs in college, some, some really tough years. And uh, senior year, I was looking to get drafted, obviously, and texted every scout I knew uh, probably May, uh, like a month before the draft. And I went to, this, went to a workout in Amherst, Massachusetts, where the guy who invited me actually had an eye infection, but the two other guys there watched me pitch. And I, it was the best I've ever thrown in my life. And they were the only two guys that called me on draft day. And Brewers scout that was there uh, picked me up in the 31st round. And so um, was able to get get into pro ball had a crazy uh first year of pro ball was, a, was supposed to be in the azl league which is kind of like the lower rookie league and a guy punched punched the wall in the next level up and broke his knuckle and they sent me up there just being an older guy kind of like a sink or swim thing like hey go see if you can hang with him so went up there had a tough first couple of starts but then pitched well and uh got moved up later that year to the next team and just kind of the ball kept rolling from there i was just was able to get kind of keep my hand or keep my name in the raffle wheel for the promotions, uh, as they like to say in the minor leagues, uh, just pitching well enough to be a thought at the next level. And, uh, and then come that August day where I was supposed to start that night for AAA and the coach calls me and says, hey, you're not starting for me tonight. You're starting tomorrow in the big leagues against the Mariners. And just I remember the look with my, you know, at my wife, that day, it was like incredible, like shock and sad, or like just emotion, pure happiness, um, and tears of joy just running down our faces. It was incredible. So I'll never forget that. Um, but I just look at it, you know, I'm, I'm, my dad and I talk about it all the time. I'm playing with house money, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm really not a hard thrower. wasn't really supposed to be here, but, uh, just kept, just kept pitching, uh, trying to keep making pitches and grateful for every day I get to play, uh, baseball for a living. And it's, it's been an incredible blessing for my family. My son gets to come watch dad play baseball. Like it's so cool. Um, and he loves that. Uh, he loves the sausage races at Milwaukee, maybe even more than baseball <laughs> at this point, but uh, he, he loves coming to games and it's just, it's been an incredible ride. I can't, uh, I couldn't ask for anything better. Well, I've been to, to Milwaukee um, and I've seen the sausage races. So <laughs> it, it is a highlight of the game, but yeah. um, <laughs> crowd gets um, crazy for it. It's hilarious. But but even in the minor leagues, you never you never got down. You never like oh, well, I'm not in the big leagues right now. I think I think you were just you know you were just happy to, to be to be playing and 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 to get to to be paid for being playing. Even though maybe at the minor leagues, it's not it's not all that much money. But uh, yeah. but I think you you retained a very positive attitude. And how much of that is you 
and who you are as a positive person, how much is that, you know, just your, your spirituality, your religious beliefs about, you know, taking the good things out of life? Yeah. Um, I definitely think it's more the spirituality. Um, but it's, it's definitely how I was raised too. my, my parents were raised me, uh, you know, to try to be as grateful as I can all the time to always have kind of my give uh, glory and thanks to God at all times. So definitely they instilled that spirituality part in me. Um, and just knowing that, you know, all these, all these gifts, uh, these blessings are from God and what I do with them are my gift back to God. So just trying to take that mentality for sure. Um, but there have been some there have been some low moments too. There have been some times where I was uh, frustrated or you know let you know let myself get a little down or whatnot. Maybe after a bad day or just like a you know decision that I didn't agree with, what what have you. So uh, it was it's definitely I've had I'm a I'm a human being too. I'm not just uh, completely positive all the time. I try to be as positive as I can, but uh, we're all we're all human. We all have those those low moments. Um, but it's just in, in those low moments too, just kind of. Uh, clinging to my faith and clinging to God and, and Jesus and just saying, Hey, like take these selfish thoughts or take these burdens or what, what have you. And, um, uh, let me be who you want me to be today. Um, but uh, yeah, being able to play a sport for a living. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard not to be super grateful. It's, it's an incredible opportunity, incredible platform for things like this, for environmental issues. Um, last year we're being able to, uh, partaking the boycott standing up for uh, you know social justice um and being uh, just having a platform where people listen to you um they like watching you pitch but they they'll listen to you too so right um it's it's definitely a responsibility um but a huge blessing at the same time so how did you decide to become a pitcher is it is it did you know at some point that you had a natural talent to throw the ball and throw it you know fast and accurate um, or did you develop into a pitcher at some point in your, in your baseball career? Yeah. Um, I want to say once we started doing kids pitch, um, I was in Atlanta at the time, but then moving to Cincinnati when I was like in second grade, I, you know, being left-handed, you're automatically kind of have that, um, little bit of a leg up or just, you're kind of a rarity, you know, only 11% of the population or whatever is left-handed. So, um, uh, and then I just, knew I I could throw decently hard as a, as a young kid, um, and was able to throw somewhat, you know, somewhat strikes and, um, all that. And was able to, uh, kind of get some confidence going. I was, I was a decent hitter growing up too. Um, so I, I didn't know, I loved Ken Griffey Jr. growing up. So I wanted to emulate his swing all the time. And, um, I, I didn't know for sure. I wanted to be a pitcher only. And then, uh, did a little bit of both and, um, early part of college and then gave up hitting once I was hitting about, about a buck 70 in college. I was like, okay, let me just focus on pitching. Uh, and then, uh, was able to focus on pitching and, um, just like, I just did just enough to get to the next level and, uh, was able to ride some good pitching, but just uh, a lot of, a lot of fortunate circumstances happening from there to, to the big leagues. Right. But you did get it quite an impressive, home run off of a very good uh pitcher um and, and <laughs> yeah. that must have been a real high for you oh my gosh yeah that was that was one of the funnest moments in my baseball life for sure it was uh first pitch of the inning which pitchers aren't supposed to swing at but i just kind of saw it up and was able to get the barrel to it and it went went out and uh he yeah, was off Corey kluber who was uh you know two or three times cy young winner uh and uh he was 
he was pitching well against us and I was able to hit that home run and um, was pitching, pitching pretty well that game too. So that was definitely one of the funner or more fun memories of my baseball life. So what do you think was your most memorable game in your career so far? Um, I, I mean, that home run game was definitely up there. Um, I had a game the year before where I was uh, having a pretty good month and it was my really first full month of starting. Uh, starting, uh, I was more of a starter back then and uh, was able to uh, hold our kind of our arch rival Cubs scoreless over seven innings. It was a big game. We were kind of a tight division race and it kind of capped a really cool month for me um, and for the team and just a really special night. Uh, so that was, that was really memorable. And then uh, the stretch run down in 2019, I was coming off of surgery, uh, Tommy John surgery. I'd rehabbed all year and was able to pitch really well for the team in the regular season and then through a scoreless inning in the playoffs. So uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, that was just kind of one of those dream years. Um, everything was going right out there and a lot of hard work was really paying off uh, from, from the rehab process. So that was, that was really memorable as well. Well, I really want to thank you for, for joining us. Um, I mean, you're, you're having a good career and, and it sounds like a lot of fun and your, your head's in the right place, but you're also, you know, using your platform to really advance an issue that's critical to all of us. And, and, and I think you're going to really, you know, have some success. Um, so I really appreciate you coming. Um, I'll just end by saying, I know you do great, uh, imitations and I don't want to put you on the spot but maybe you want to give us an imitation imitation because I've 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 heard you I've, I've seen you do a few of them and, they, and yeah. they're, they're pretty good yeah yeah uh, so I'll do a couple uh, my Gollum one I I, I uh, from Lord of the Rings for anyone who's out there for Lord of the Rings and then I'll do <laughs> Uh, I do a little Jim Carrey too. The, you know, you can poke somebody eye out with that thing. Take care now. Bye bye then. <laughs> Those are a couple I got in there. I'm working on uh, being from uh, playing in Wisconsin. I'm working on little Chris Farley. Uh, you know, like the Matt Foley SNL skit where he's like, "Hey kids, why you when you take you up, put the world around and put it down and put it in your pocket." Well, I'm here to tell you, you're probably going to find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to Jack Squat. <laughs> yeah, he was a master. He was a master. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I've become very friendly with, with uh, Peter and Bob, Bobby Farrelly. Oh, yeah. And Dumber, and they're just great. And, and, and yeah. you know, very funny. And, um you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, you're really relaxed and, and this has been such a fun interview and I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. really appreciate you, Jay, and uh, I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you so much. All Inclusive is a production of the Ruderman Family Foundation. Our key mission is the full inclusion of people with disabilities in all aspects of society. You can find All Inclusive on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. To view the show notes, transcripts, or to learn more, go to rudermanfoundation.org slash all-inclusive. Have an idea for a podcast? Be sure to tweet at Jay Ruderman.